Welcome to Freedom Church, Coach Greg Ellis. Thank you, thank you. We are so glad to have you here. Good to be here. And glad to have your son, Jeremiah, right down here on the front row. Y'all give it up for Jeremiah. (laughs) Who we're all trying to coerce to go to Sagu, right? There we go. We're trying to strong arm him. Hey, listen, we wanted this day to be a special day since it's Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, I just, I don't know if we could have chose anybody better than Greg Ellis to come and be here today. In the last two services, man, you have just hit it out of the park, although it's baseball. Um, Kicked it out of the park. There you go. It's been great. But tell us a little bit about Greg Ellis. We've seen your highlights. We've watched you play. you know, you're playing for America's team, and uh, that's most of our team. Although right. we have right. a few defectors <laughs> in the house. Uh, but I never ask you this in the other service. Kansas City, Philadelphia. Man, you know what? I got to go with Kansas City. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Are there any Eagles fans in this service? Oh, wow. yeah, there's a two, two back there. Oh, my goodness. I want to meet with you I at the church, okay? It. Oh, going to pray over you. There you go. Hey, well, tell us a little bit about Greg Ellis. Tell us about your, where'd you grow up and what was life for Greg Ellis growing up? Pastor, everything has been super for the last two services. The only letdown was nobody in either of the services have ever heard of the amazing large town of Wendell. Now, has anybody in here we got one Wendell person back there, two, what? probably because you was in the, one of the other two services. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard of Wendell before? Oh, well, there we go. So it's, it's, a, it's a real big city, right? Uh, yeah, there we go. No, Wendell is so small. I told the other audiences. That's you, in North Carolina. It's in North Carolina. So if, if you uh, say so where? Tar Heels. There we go. <laughs> exactly. But if you drive through Wendell and you're going about 60 miles per hour, if you take a good long blink, you will miss the whole city. It's, it's just that big, Pastor. Um, but it's a great, great place, in my opinion. Um, I, I grew up, my mom and dad have a brother. And my mom and dad, they were, um, they, they raised us. We were very humble. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, mom and dad worked very, very hard. Um, they taught the importance of having that relationship with Christ. Um, they didn't do it for us, but they laid out the breadcrumbs, if you would, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, allow my brother and myself to find God through our own means, if you would, uh, make that decision to be an, a follower of Christ on our own merit. Um, but they poured into our lives. Um, they planted that seed. And I told the other two congregations, and I'll share it with you too, um, make sure, you know, the adults in here with kids, Make sure even kids that have little brothers, little sisters, little cousins, or little friends, make sure you're pouring and planting that seed uh, so they can understand the importance of having that relationship um, with Christ, okay? Um, doesn't cost you money to do it, um, but it's a life-changing um, um, commitment, if you would, um, that doesn't take a lot from you to do it, um, but just make sure you plant that seed. And the best way that I've found to water that seed is to make sure you walk in your life out, 
right? One of the worst things you can do, you tell them and you plant that seed, but they see something totally opposite in your life and the things that you practice. So make sure you not only plant that seed, but when they're looking at you, it doesn't mean you're perfect and everybody has to understand nobody, as my mom said, uh, only one that's perfect is Christ, right? So none of us are perfect, but plant that seed and walk your faith out so your kids and other people around you can see it and you can win them over by your walk with Christ. So your parents raised you in church. Yep. You and y'all went to, to, to church together. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was in that church where you made a decision to follow Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it was. Um, several years ago, before I was born, it, that church, um, had, it was a small church. We didn't have um, the amazing facility that you guys have here, to say the least, okay? Um, it was a church that my grandfather helped build, Okay. And so, but I, w I wasn't around when he was building it, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and it has trans transformed um, building structure. But it's something special about it, in my opinion, that, you know, my grandfather actually um, helped build it with his bare hands and stuff. So, um, but yeah, they, they took us to that church. And um, it, it, I, I bought into it, if you would. That relationship with Christ, and guys, I'm not perfect, okay? Uh, but that relationship with Christ, it only made sense to me. Um, you know, I credit God for he opened my heart up to allow me to see um, with spiritual eyes the things that, you know, some young, young kids might not be able to see at such an early age. But I understood the importance of that relationship with Christ. Um, I shared with Pastor earlier, um, there, are, there are friends that I grew up with and, and some aunts and uncles that still surprise that I'm not a full-fledged pastor by now um, because it, it only made sense to me um, that we, you know, God created us, we're oneness, but through sin that entered into the world, separated. You need something to bridge that gap. God took a part of him own self in the form of his son to bridge that gap. That's the only way we can connect back to God. That just made a whole lot of sense to me for some reason. And so you made that decision. Do you remember the, the day? I, I, the, the, the actual official decision yeah. was made when I was in the 11th grade. Okay. Um, you know, I took the walk in, in the, uh, that particular church. You know, we walked down the aisle at the end, the altar call to give the altar call. And who wants to give their life to, to Jesus except Jesus, Lord and Savior. And so I did that. I was there. I don't remember the date, but it was, I was a junior in high school when I officially, you know, made that decision, which was very funny, if you would, because everything I did as a little boy, people assumes like, okay, he's going to be a pastor. So I don't know why it took so long for me to actually go through the formality mm -hmm. of taking that walk, if you would. But um, that, that's, that's where I'm at. And that walk with Christ, that continue, you continue that walk all the way through high school and college and in the NFL. You know, I felt like just jumping up when you said that because the answer is yes. And I never thought about it, to be honest with you, until you just said that. But that walk that I took in the 11th grade, that life I lived even before I took that walk, I it continued up into right now. Doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. Um, if God was looking for somebody perfect, he wouldn't use any of us because um, none of us are perfect. But I, I, I'm so glad that God kept me in times when I wasn't able to keep myself because doing it God's way, living your life God's way is the best way. It's going to work out for your good. It, it may not be right now that you can see it, 
But as long as you continue to follow his path mm -hmm. and doing it the way he orchestrated for us to do it, I guarantee you guys, guarantee, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I guarantee you life will end up a lot better versus you doing it your way. Your way, our way is but just a short-term reward that we always look for. But that long-term reward, the long-term success, the sustainability that God wants all of us to have and whatever he has anointed us to do can only be found if you choose to do it God's way. Hmm. Now, you talked, you talked about some of the wilderness experiences yeah. that uh, we often go through that you went through yeah. you know, growing up, but how that became developmental in your life. Tell me about it. You know, and, and I got, and I don't remember which one I shared with y'all early, yeah. <laughs> but I got a lot of wilderness experiences. Um, this would probably be the, 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 the deepest one that, you know, is very different, if you would. Um, controversial right now, but don't shoot Greg Ellis, okay? <laughs> when I, I've learned um, my, my parents, you know, I, was, I wasn't the planned child. Uh, and so my mom and dad, my dad was fearful because of financial reasons. Okay, we can't afford another child. And so my dad wanted me, wanted my mom to get an abortion. Um, and obviously they didn't. But so I grew up now. So, you know, they made a decision. Okay, we're going to keep the baby. Uh, but they wanted me to be a girl. <laughs> now, you know. <laughs> And my wife always laugh about this. So my mom, they went on ahead and picked out the girl name. Uh, even went out and bought the girl clothes. And I get here, boom, I am not a girl. <laughs> <laughs> and so through some disappointment, uh, you know, they're like, man, we thought it was going to be a girl. They didn't have a name for me. And so my aunt, two of my aunts come up with Greg. That's where my name comes from. And so through all of that, you know, it, it didn't bother me. It troubled me some. But when I was the letdown, because I wasn't the girl that, you know, they thought I was going to be, I, I look at this, Pastor, and I compare my life to David. And so David, as you know, spent several years in the wilderness tending to the sheep. I mean, I look at my life because I wasn't that girl um, doesn't mean my parents didn't love me because they certainly did. They poured so much into my brother and myself. But God allowed, he created an environment for Greg Ellis to be isolated. I was isolated a lot, but I didn't realize it, right? Didn't really think too much about it. But as I got older, I realized that isolation time was times and moments when I was in the wilderness, right? Was, was God, when God was perfecting something in me to getting me prepared for all the things um, that he had for me to do in life. And I share with the other congregation members, some of you may be in that wilderness season, and it's just a season, in your life right now. Don't frown upon the wilderness moments, all right? I, I shared with my son on the way to the church this morning, everybody has a wilderness moment. 
but it's up to you how you choose to spend that wilderness moment. My encouragement for you is to make sure you're getting all what God has laid out for you to get in those wilderness moments. David got all what God intended for him to get in the wilderness moments. If he didn't, when it came time to battle Goliath, he would have failed. But he got all what God had laid out in 10. He has absorbed all the skills, everything that it takes to be what we know as the great King David. But if he didn't spend time in the wilderness, if he didn't maximize his time in the wilderness, he wouldn't be the great King David. So for you, for me, all of us, when we're in the wilderness season of our lives, I tell the football players that I coach, we have wilderness time. Training camp, there's no cameras around. Lifting weights, there's no cameras, there's no reporters, and nobody there to take pictures and ask you, how'd you do in a game today? That's the wilderness time. But if you don't get all what God intended for you to get in the wilderness, when you get to the season, you won't be able to be at your best. So in the wilderness in your life, please, please, please master that craft, that gift that God has put inside of you, that tool that God has entrusted you with. Master that thing. So when you go out for it to be shown to the world, you can make and help God look good. Make sense to you? There you go. That's good. So your first attempt at playing football ended oh. up in a shut door. A shut door. closed door. <laughs> talking about the wilderness. <laughs> and so what Pastor's talking about, I was, um, you know, you can start playing peewee football as a kid, right? And so where in Wendell, the big city of Wendell, you had a weight limit, right? Now, I won't um, embarrass myself to tell you how much I weighed <laughs> and I couldn't, I was too big to play. But needless to say, the coach would, he would drive around the communities and, and kids would hop on the back of the pickup truck and he'll take you where you need to, you know, to the, to the practice facility and all that stuff. Um, but you had to wait and you had to make the weight in order to play. And so some kids, if you're 5, 10, maybe 15 pounds over. He said, okay, you, you know, we can run it off and skip a couple of meals. You'll be okay. Came to me. He was like, yeah. It, you don't need for you to get in the back of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I went home with tears in my eyes. And uh, my mom, she grabs me and hugs me. And she said, baby, that's okay. One day you will be able to play as much football as your heart desires. Um, but little did she know, like I said, I grew up humble. Mom and daddy really wasn't educated for his book and school is concerned. But those words that she spoke to me, she spoke life to me mm. in that desperate situation for me as a kid. But she spoke life to me. And that turned out into all what you see of Greg Ellis playing with the Dallas Cowboys, the Raiders, the Pro Bowls, the comeback, all that stuff got spoken to me. So if I hadn't said it to you already, I want to make sure I say it now. Speak life mm. to your kids. Come Speak on. life to each other. Your cool. words that you say are, are, it's up to you. But you speak in life or you speak in death. All right? So make sure that you speak in life to the people in your life. Speak life. I can't say it enough. Speak life. Speak life. Speak life. Don't speak death. And, and it's not always a profound moment. That was just a simple mother-son moment. But instead of my mama speaking deaf, now you say, well, how can you speak deaf? If mama say, well, that's why you need to go on a diet. You need to lose weight. I told you, right? That's deaf to a little kid. 
but she took the time to say, okay, let me address my baby the right way. And she did. And she chose in that key moment of my life to speak life into me. Mm, that's good. So you, your parents, instrumental in your spiritual development, and then you're a freshman at college. Yeah. And something happens. Something happens. So my freshman, freshman year, um, I'm there. My dad, I get the call. Um, you know, my dad has diabetes, and he's, you know, old school, didn't take care of himself. One thing led to another, and eventually, you know, he passed. And so that was devastating, obviously. And so, as I said, we were very humble financially. We didn't have a lot of money. And so I was prepared and going to drop out of, out of school. The decision was already made because I don't come from a family where a lot of us go to college anyway. So it was okay in my mind. Now, my, then my girlfriend, who's now my wife, uh, my mom, and my, one of my uncles, um, encouraged me, Greg, you stay in school. You know, we can help your mom out the best we can. Mama said, I'll make ends meet the best I can. And so I made the decision to stay in school. And for me, life got real serious. And I remember praying this prayer, and I had to hold back the emotions. Been doing good the last two services. But seriously, I made a commitment to God, a covenant to God, and say, God, I'm going to stay in school, but since and if I'm going to stay in school, something good got to come out of this. Something positive has got to come out of this. I can't spend these five years at the University of North Carolina on a full-ride scholarship while my mother is struggling out there to barely make ends meet. Something got to come out of this. What did I do? I committed myself, young people, to a level that was very, very serious. Got any kids football players in here? Hands, okay, good, see a couple of them, good. I committed myself to a very high level of commitment. When it comes to the weight room, guys, I did not miss a rep of anything that we did in the weight room. Now, I know that sounds crazy, and somebody in here right now, pastor, saying, yeah, right, sure you didn't. I promise you, if you knew anybody that I played, we can go back and ask them. I did not miss a single rep on anything because I said, okay, I can't waste any motion. Everything up here, something got to work out, whether it's professional football, whether it's me getting a degree, getting a good job so I can help my mom out. Something has got to happen in a positive way. God rewarded that, Pastor. Mm -hmm. He really did. And so you move on to the next thing. What, what else did I commit to? I never missed a class. Other than we having to miss a class to travel to a football game, for as me, you know, those late Thursday nights where kids go out and party and miss Friday, I didn't miss nothing. I had a t uh, this professor, Pastor, uh, some of my high school kids, when you get to college, you'll have night classes, a night lab sometimes. And this professor, man, is a female professor, and she's an older lady. And the first day of class, she tells us, uh, she says, uh, now look, kids, if we have a home basketball game, football here is king in North Carolina, Basketball is where Michael Jordan come from. I went to the same school Michael Jordan went to, matter of fact. The lady says, uh, if we have a home basketball game and it happens on the night that we have this class, there will be no class. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought she was just being facetious and playing. And so sure enough, it's like Thursday, whatever night was. But old Greg Ellis, because I made this commitment to God, I still walked over there to the building, get ready to go to class. So 
she was gone. Wasn't nobody in the class. <laughs> I said, man, that lady was serious. Uh, but, but, but I still showed up to make sure no class was going on. But that was my level of commitment. And guys, when you want something bad enough, it's okay. This, this is how God works. He wants us to figure out, identify that, that thing that he put in our hearts. So a lot of people misconstrue when it's said, and the Bible says, God will give you desires of your heart. But they don't get that confused. It's really, he gives you what to desire Come on. in good. your heart. So God put that thing there. He wants us to go after it. Very, very aggressively, he placed it in there. You won't feel completed until you go after and accomplish what he put in your heart. Mm. And, and it's okay to go after it. He wants us to go after it 100 miles per hour. That's awesome. That's a, I'm curious. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing you bought your mama? The first thing I bought my mom, hey, I bought her a car. Did you? <laughs> Here's the thing. Now, think about this, man. This is how rough we had it. That was my mom's first brand new car. Wow. And I bought it for her. You know what I mean? So it's it's been a blessing. And obviously, I bought her a house. And... We, and my mom is is amazing. I'll be. She is. I heard the stories about some of the football players' moms. Kind of tough, <laughs> but my mom is amazing. Not just saying it because she's my mom. Um, I got the kind of mom, man. She was like, Greg, that's you. My wife' name is Tangi. She said, "That's you and Tangi money. You don't have to do nothing for me." And even to the point when I told her to quit one of the part-time jobs she was working, and before I can get around to looking into her business affairs. She went out and took out a loan to make her bills meet. And when I finally got around to her, friend said, Mom, why'd you take out this loan? She said, well, you told me to quit my job, but you never came through. So I was trying to figure out how to make it work. I was a millionaire and she still didn't even ask me, Pastor. She just went and started still figuring it out on her own. That's the kind of mom that my mom is, man. And we went to buy our house. She said, you sure you're going to buy this house? It wasn't a big, elaborate house. It was just, you know, 2,500-square-foot house, right? I know all of y'all got houses bigger than that. Uh, but for my mom, you know, she was like, this is too big, Greg. You don't need to do that. So that's the kind of mom that, that God blessed me with. And it's been a tremendous blessing still to this day. It's a good thing to have a godly mother, isn't it? Yes, hey, amen. I got one right over there. There we go. Second row. There right we go. There. Right there. <laughs> Okay, so tell me, what was your greatest or some of your greatest football highlights, accomplishments? Accomplishments. Uh, one of the greatest things, uh, there's a lot of things, man. I'll tell you one of the unique stories I'll share with you, I'll share with them. But I guess one of the greatest things is being the comeback player of the year. That's the isolated award. goes to one guy. Think about it. In the entire NFL, it goes to one person. And mm -hmm. so if you're that guy, that means you, you came back from some adversity. But it, it's not fun when you're coming back from the adversity. Everybody wants the, to, to be on the side when, 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 it, when you're reaping, right? Everybody wants to get the gold and get the prize and get your, your, pay, your, your picture in the newspaper on the Internet and all that good stuff. But there are very few people, Pastor, that's willing to put in that hard work that it takes to get to the other side. Now, say, Greg, what are you talking about? Um, probably year number eight, something like that, I, I tear my Achilles tendon against Arizona Cardinals. And um, I, they caught me off the field. The team doctor 
says, Greg, uh, first thing he says to me, you had a great career. I said to him, I said, well, can we fix it? He said, no, we can fix it. There's no problem to fix it. But you won't return to a level that would allow you to continue to play in the NFL. So this is it for your career. And he was speaking the tr- what's supposed to be the truth. And so throughout that, I get the surgery. They draft the first, and of course, I'm paraphrasing a lot of it for time's sake. They draft the first-round guy to take my place. Um, I miss all the offseason because I was rehabbing the, the Achilles tendon. Um, they, I miss all of training. I go out there the first day of training camp and try to go, couldn't go. Miss all of training camp, every single practice of training camp. Missed the first one, two, and three games. And so finally, I go out there, I think game number four. Um, and I, I don't start, but I play. And uh, so I'm playing in less games than I ever played in any other season. I'm not starting. Um, they draft somebody to take my place. So you feel like the sun is not going to come up tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. But guys, it was in that season that God chose to show up and show out in a mighty way. <clears throat> and I don't say this from a cliche point of view. What I'm about to tell you is real, true reality, right? I missed all of that. That's unheard of for you to miss that much football, but yet have the best season that you've ever had in the NFL. And that's what happened to me. I've, that season, I had more in quarterback sacks than any other season, right? Um, that, that season, I end up being the comeback player of the year. That season, I end up going to the pro, my first Pro Bowl, first and only Pro Bowl that I actually went to, um, Pro Bowl. So I tell people this, and on top of that, guys, they drafted. See, the, if you can just follow me for 30 seconds, the way the NFL works you draft people, the young man said I was the eighth pick, which is true. That means they paid you a whole lot of money to come here. Now, Jerry Jones, being the amazing man he is, when he pay out the money, you got to go on the field and play. So they drafted somebody else to do that at my position. That means, Greg Ellis, you're finished with the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to give you one more year just because we like you, but hey, enjoy it because that's it. That's where it's supposed to be in. But guys, I tell you this, if you want to see God when he's really at his best, He's at his best when situations won't allow anybody to get the credit for it. Come on. That, yep. That's when God is, is at, his, at his best. And I say that because me, myself, I couldn't take the credit for coming back from a torn Achilles tendon, getting more sacks. Because if I could get more sacks um, in any other year, obviously I would have got more sacks from years one, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But it wasn't up to me. It was God being God. It was God saying, okay, the stage is cleared now. Let me intervene and show up. And that's what God did. And sometimes in our lives, those moments, you may have tears in your eyes. And I shared with Pastor them earlier. Guys, I remember during that season being on the sideline. And I remember tears in my eyes. And trying not to let the other football players see my eyes water. Because that's not a macho kind of situation uh, to be going on in a football game. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, I felt God speak to me. Greg, do you think I can do it now? Do you still think I can do it now? And I say this not because I'm this perfect Christian guy, but I honestly did. Without a doubt, I said, God, I know you can do it. 
I know you can do it. That was just the conversation between myself and God. In almost every game I got out there, sometimes it was at the last play of the game where I ended up getting a quarterback sack. So I tell people, several years ago, I did a video from I'm Second. Some of y'all have probably heard of I'm Second. And my testimony was this story right here. And, and I tell people, man, I can't take the credit for that season. The doctors, the coaches, there's not one human being that can take the credit for what happened then. Scientifically, what the doctor said was supposed to happen was really supposed to happen. But God said, okay, now the stage is clear. Let me step in here to intervene, to show myself to this world. Come and on. that's what God yeah. did. That's good. That's good. And he's still showing off. Okay, before we start wrapping this up, okay. tell me about those two touchdowns. Oh, the two touchdowns. Here we go. <laughs> this is lighten the mood a little bit for you. Kind of got a little deep. We're going to fluffing it back up a little That's bit. That's all right. <laughs> and, and so uh, year, the second year. And so uh, we're playing against Eric, no, uh, Atlanta Falcons first. And so I'm the defensive end. Um, and as you can see, it doesn't look like I'm built to run a long ways. And I'm not. <laughs> And so uh, I'm not built to catch balls. I'm built to sack and tackle quarterbacks. But uh, lo and behold, God being God, has this quarterback from Atlanta, throws the ball right to old Greg Ellis. I mean, he just put it right in the old bread basket, as they say. Put it right here. I couldn't drop the ball because it was right here. Out of reaction, I called it, to be honest with you. So I catch the ball. I look up. It is 87 yards between where I'm at and the touchdown. Got a decision to make, you know? It's, it's like, okay, now, you could just fall down. Trip right now. You know, hey, you're a defensive lineman. You got an interception. That says a lot. That's good. That's enough. But I made a decision to say, okay, I got the ball. I looked at it. It was like, I really got the football in my hands. <laughs> and so I take off galloping down the field. Uh, it, it was like, the other team, Atlanta, they didn't know I had the ball, I guess, because by the time they started chasing me, I was almost to the touchdown deal. Uh, but again, 87 yards is a long way for a big guy to run, and especially when you're being chased. Mm -hmm. or at least you think you're being chased. <laughs> <laughs> so I get to the end zone. I fall to the end zone, touchdown. I'm like, whew, thank you, God, that's over. So I, I go to the sideline. Everybody's, you know, trying to congratulate me, and I'm, like, trying to part the Red Sea here, because I'm like, man, where is the oxygen at? Don't say nothing. <laughs> Just get me to the oxygen. And so I, I make my way to the bench, and I'm sucking oxygen. Still, everybody's around, and I'm like, okay, just give me some air. And the all-great Troy Aikman comes up. Uh, Troy, you know, he taps me. And, of course, I'm a second-year guy, and Troy is all-world. He taps me, and I look up. I was like, oh, wow, that's Troy. Didn't even know you knew my name, man. <laughs> And so I look up, and Troy tells me, he said, uh, Greg, man, hey, congratulations. Make sure you enjoy it because it won't never happen again for you in your career. Yeah, that sounds like, you know, kind of like, okay, was that a compliment or was that, were you criticizing me? What are you saying? You're saying I'm that slow that I'll never do it again? And so I said, okay. And so lo and behold, God, you know, with a sense of humor, I think God has a sense of humor. And so the very next game, we're playing um, uh, 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 Arizona at our place, at the Cowboys Stadium. And so the, uh, they're on the two-yard line about to score, right? Arizona is. We tackle them. They fumble the ball. And this is the, the truth. 
I think God froze time for everybody else besides Greg Ellis. <laughs> no, it's like nobody tried to get the ball. It's like laying right in front of me. And again, it felt like football is very fast-paced. But this particular one, it felt like an hour was, was, had taken place. So I'm processing for an hour in my time. And maybe my time in God's time. <laughs> I'm processing. And I'm looking at the ball. I'm like, is it a fumble? Why is nobody trying to get it? And I said, I think it's a fumble, though. And then I said, uh, well, I'm, I should just fall on it because, you know, it's a long way to run. <laughs> and so I made the decision to fall on the ball. Darren Woodson, the guy who's just missed the Hall of Fame this year, is pulling my arm. He's pulling me by the other elbow. Just get up. They didn't touch you. They didn't touch you. So if they don't touch you, you can get up and you're supposed to, supposed to run with the ball. Now, again... I'm not built to run with balls, right? I'm built to sack quarterbacks. And so I get on the ball, Darren pulls me up, so I'm like, okay, I got to get up. So I, and, and if, you, if you saw how slow I got up, I literally went to one knee. I was like, okay, you can touch me now so I don't have to run with the ball. This is your chance. They, nobody touched me, Pastor. So I was like, okay, Greg, you got to get all the way up. You're going to have to run. So I get up and I look up. Just a sea of just green turf with lines on it. Yeah, it's a long ways to run. <laughs> These dudes are going to come catch me. This is, it's going to be bad. But nevertheless, you got 100,000 people watching, so you, and millions on TV. So you're going to have to run with the ball. So I take off and I'm running, man. And a lot of Cowboys teammates surround me. And I get out about 20 yards before Arizona realized that it was a fumble which was, God, the freezing time that I talked about, that's what was going on, I'm, I'm convinced. And so I make it to the end zone, fall into the end zone, and then we score, I score a touchdown. And so now, I am tired, right? 87 yards was enough, and this happened a week later, I'm still recovering from the 87-yard <laughs> touchdown, right? And now I'm having to run 98 yards. But who, take a wild guess, instead of me going to auction, what was the first thing I do? Troy Aikman, exactly, you got it right. I go find my old new buddy, Troy Aikman. And, and Troy's standing on the sideline, and I tapped him, and I said, uh, I thought you said it would never happen again. And he bust out in laughter. But shortly after that, of course, I, I, I run over real quick to get the oxygen, because uh, that was a long run. So that's my Troy Aikman story. That's awesome. All right, so now... You're coaching Southwestern University. Yes, sir. You've got, did you say 140? Yep, yep. We'll have about 130 during the season. 130 uh -huh. athletes during the season. Mm -hmm. They're your responsibility to teach them not only the game of football, yep. but to teach them the game of life. Of life. How do you, how do you lead these guys? Man, that, that's the hey. important thing, guys, is obviously I love football. It's something, it's one of the desires that God put in my heart and I pursued it 100 miles per hour. But you, you have to realize life is bigger than that. There's something way, way bigger than football. I love it. Um, as somebody spoke about Tom Brady, one day football is going to be over. And, and then what, what are you hanging your hat on? And so I believe football is an amazing tool that God has blessed us with to reach young people, to show them godly examples. It's so many examples in 
football that I say, you know what, this this game is, and I know people get hurt all the time in football, but I still believe it was a game, it is a game that God created and allowed us to be a part of to learn him more, if you would. And so our my responsibility as the head coach is to make sure my assistant coaches and the football players are using the game of football to learn those vital parts of life and, and can't be anything more vital than having that godly relationship with, with Christ. That's the foundation. And if you don't, you can go ahead and clap. If, And if you don't, if we don't supply the atmosphere, the environment for our kids to learn that that fundamental thing in life, then we're doing a disservice to our students. I'm doing a disservice to the young people. I would be doing a disservice to my own kids. So for me and to me, there's nothing more important than showing people that relationship with Christ and living it out. Because after all, eternity is going to come one way or the other, okay? Now, I had a pastor friend um, that tell, when he was preaching to a church, and he said, let's suppose, let's enter into the imaginary world and suppose a bird can take the planet Earth, uh, a dirt, piece of dirt by dirt, a handful of dirt at a time, and fly it to the moon. That can't really happen, but if it could really happen, right? He said, by the time that bird is finishing taking the last handful of dirt to the moon, we have just started eternity. Make sense to you? Because eternity is forever. So however long it takes for something to happen is not longer than eternity. So this testing ground that we're on right now, we need to make sure, and as, as I want to say adults, but as coaches, as you asked me that question, we need to make sure as coaches that we're providing that atmosphere, whatever it takes to get the kids to understand the importance of having that relationship with, with Christ, okay? And that's my number one goal. I, I was telling um, Rick, well, Rick is gone. I was telling Rick earlier in the green room, you learn, my football players down here, you learn so much more about yourself and about life when the football game doesn't go the way you want it to go. That's the L word, when you lose a football game. That's when you truly learn who you are and what you are and what you're made of, what your values are, when things don't go your way. It's easy to be on top of the world and shout, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm what would Jesus do, bracelets and all that. That's easy when things are going good. Mm -hmm. But what about when things aren't going good? What about when adversity comes in your life? As it, it, it will come for everybody in here. Everybody in here will have adversity moments in our lives. Then what are you going to do? And here's a little hint. People sometimes think that we go through those situations to, to, so God can see who we are and what we're going to do. No. You know who he wants us to see who we are? He wants us to see ourselves. So some of us are on our, you know, big white horse and thinking, hey, I'm Mr. Goody Two Shoes. We got Jesus, then we got me. No. That adverse situation will reveal that to you sometimes. And you'll catch yourself like, wow, I didn't know that was in there. That's okay. You still got time to get it right. But, but, but the adverse moments comes for everybody in our lives and learn what God intends for us to learn in those adverse moments. Because what you don't want to do is be like the Israelites, right? It's supposed to take 40 days. You don't want 40 days to turn into 40 years 
of doing something because you refuse to learn what God intended for us to learn. So when you're in those wilderness moments, learn what God intends for us to learn so you can move on to the more shinier side and get into the promised land. That's a good word. I'm going to ask you, Freedom, if you do me a favor, and I want you to join me and let's pray for Coach Greg Ellis because he's, uh, he's got this responsibility as well as an opportunity to be able to raise up young athletes that are going to serve the Lord and make the most out of their lives, and we believe we're going to impact the, the world. And what a privilege to have you here sharing your heart and your testimony. It's just been an honor to get to know you. Would y'all, first of all, give it up for Coach Greg Ellis. Yeah.